everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Means of Creation, where we are deep diving into the passion economy and the future of work. I'm your host, Lee Jen, along with Nathan Bachez. And today we have an awesome guest here with us. Evan Britton is the founder of FamousBirthdays.com, which is basically the de facto celebrity Wikipedia on the internet with over 200,000 biographies of various creators and celebrities. And it's been described as Wikipedia for Gen Z, which I think basically captures everything you need to know. And Evan founded the website back in 2012 and has profitably bootstrapped it through ad revenue. And currently the site reaches about 30 million unique monthly visitors and gets more than 100 million monthly page views. And in addition to information about celebrities, like their birthday and where they're from, Famous Birthdays also creates original content with celebrity creators by hosting Q&A videos, games, and challenges. And so we're really excited to talk to Evan today about the origin story of the company, just generally people's obsession with celebrities and creators, and also about building a bootstrapped business. So without further ado, Evan, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Yes, it's great to have you. I'd love to start by just asking you about the backstory of Famous Birthdays and how it came about, especially in 2012. Were you obsessed with celebrities? Why did you start the website in the first place? Definitely wasn't obsessed with celebrities. I'm more interested in UX and the web and growing an audience on the web. So initially, Famous Birthdays was supposed to be a condensed funner Wikipedia for mobile, but featuring the stars that I thought were relevant, whether it be NBA stars or actors or singers and in the mainstream. So whether it be Tom Hanks or uh, Blind James or you know, Beyonce or Taylor Swift. So just I thought that on mobile, Wikipedia had too much info. Wikipedia is an awesome resource, but I knew that mobile was a wave and I thought that Wikipedia was built in a desktop era, as was IMDb. So I thought it was exciting. That when you ride a wave, nobody can be ahead of you because it's just getting started. So we made like a fun birthdays was the theme it was really more about the famous, but birthdays is one of the facts we had. And we built a cool mobile experience around it and got it to a few million users. And that's where I thought it had peaked. What really was the driver to get it from 3 million to 30 million was the users. They started searching for Vine stars back in 2014. I remember Cameron Dallas and Nash Greer, and they weren't even on Wikipedia, but they were searching for them on our platform. So I saw that they had millions of followers on Twitter. Their email address was listed in their Twitter bio, but they weren't on Wikipedia, yet somebody with a speaking line and maybe a movie only had a thousand Twitter followers and they were on Wikipedia and they had two levels of managers to contact them. There's a real gap between where the fame was and how it was set up. So we started launching profiles for these Viners by getting them to send us their bio and their headshot. And those internal searches have always been our North Star because it lets our sites anonymize. We don't, nobody logs in to use our platform, but we can still see those searches. So we see the missed searches for these Vine stars, and we saw that they had scale on Twitter and Vine, but weren't profiled. And then at the same time, that was married with VidCon, where I went to VidCon in 2014, and I specifically remember Ricky Dillon, who was a Viner. And there was 
500 screaming teams for him, trying to get a picture with him. And I remember running home and he wasn't on Wikipedia. So I thought <laughs> if just in Anaheim, California, there was 500 screaming people for him trying to get a picture, how many people would be across the whole globe screaming for him? So that real world, it's funny, everybody works in digital and the real world insights are hard, but I saw in real time screaming enthusiasm. So when I married that with the missed searches, I just saw that there was a lane and I've had the discipline to just focus on that for nine years now, not going in different directions, just building the new Wikipedia via seeing what users want and then publishing that on our platform. And since I care a lot about UX and experience, we had really great content users want it on a platform that focused on the experience. So that helped it go. But I'm fine saying I had no clue. I wasn't on Vine or on the social platform. So I, it wasn't that I had the vision versus the users showed me that there was real passion behind these stars. And it's only grown with each passing year. Totally. A move that is so consequential and so interesting that you made that I'm really curious to hear more about what that was like is deciding early on to orient the whole thing, at least branding wise around birthdays. Cause it sounds like the vision was obviously a little broader around like, it's like a better mobile, like shorter celebrity focused Wikipedia. But most people who have that idea would be like, it's celebrity Wikipedia or something like that. And they would yeah. like, but famous birthdays gives it like this hook. But I think a lot of people really struggle to constrain an idea and, and both through deciding to name it famous birthdays and through just the overall focus you've shown over like the entire thing running it. I'm curious, like what kind of, what's the story behind like how you resist the temptation to broaden it? Cause that's something I struggle with a lot. Yeah. I guess there's two questions. One is on the, on the birthdays, it was a domain I bought. And I think that birthdays happen to be the first fact people want. It also makes our platform it's like light news. So on social and on our homepage, birthdays do well. Wikipedia, if you go to the homepage, it's not really what it's there for. It's more of a huge platform of them. So birthdays was always a fun theme. I think at first it was always a challenge because people thought we were just a birthday site. And I still right. get that sometimes. But as we've grown, we became part of our culture. It's now more of a verb where if someone tweets, I'm on famous birthdays, everyone knows. So it's been a fun theme, but our famous is more core to our um, vision. And then in terms of resisting temptations, bootstrap. So I wanted to make sure that I'm efficient. But B is, you know, as the platform has grown, we wanted to double down on what users knew us for and the lane that we had. Getting the 30 million users and having our brand resonate it's because people kept, came to our platform again and again and got that experience they, they expect. So all these great ideas that I've been, that I've thought of or people have told me to do, they're great, but I always look at that with the opportunity cost. I can either start something new or just make this a little bit better. And if Famous Birthdays grows 50% now, that'll be 15 million more users. Where starting something from scratch, getting to 15 million users is very hard. Totally. So I think that we've really been part of culture and there's always more to do. I think the other discipline that helps is our missed search data. So the search engine on our platform is now searched over a million times a day. And of those searches, 90% are met, a match. So searching for something like a Netflix show or a TikTok star already on our platform. 
The other 10% or 100,000 are a miss. So every day, and we've built technology to analyze those 100,000 misses, but every day I can see that. So in terms of a roadmap, it's easier to have the discipline to focus when I see 100,000 searches that we didn't serve the user for yesterday. Now, not all of them are going to be a match because one of them might just been something random or searching themselves. I did that That's last it. night, to be clear. <laughs> okay, yeah, but that, that yeah. said, just that, wanted to see. That gives us enough of a roadmap and that's what that's i want to serve our users and that's the clear way to do that versus spreading ourselves thin with another initiative yeah like look cameo two years ago i had two very smart people say do cameo but like i heard the founder on a podcast he was so focused on that vision they raised money since then we've grown 30 percent probably with our audience and i'm excited to see cameos growth and maybe so, so it's we're staying in our lane and making famous birthdays a bigger brand while other cool things launch alongside of it. Yeah. When you're describing the search feature on famous birthdays and how people are searching every day for queries that are misses, it reminds me of the fact that on Google, there's the stat that I think on a daily basis, something like, I forget how many million. I think it was like 10% or 15%. Yeah, 15% of the searches have never been searched before. And they're like entirely new questions never posed by humanity before, which is pretty amazing. Just it, it shows both for famous birthdays and for Google, the fact that like our corpus of knowledge, who we care about, information that we're interested in and culture is just constantly shifting and moving into domains that just had never existed before. Definitely. And then that's directly applied to the creator space because I've asked often what happens when we run out of creators or shows or web groups to add to the platform. But that's that's not a concern because just like just 15% searches on Google are new, there's always new creators and entertainment that are that are rising. Yeah. Yeah. And what are, can you give us some sort of directional thoughts on what are some of the new searches that are happening recently? Are there new platforms that you can see through the search feature that are coming up that we don't really have on our radars yet? I I know Nathan Vasquez was searched about 300 times. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Up and coming creator on a new show called Means of Creation. (laughs) New page has really opened up big followings for more creators and that makes its way into our platform. TikTok's done a great job to 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 launch a huge six, seven figure followings on a lot of creators. We're seeing a lot of web groups. Obviously that the TikTok houses, people want to learn more about that. But other groups of of web stars together that launch channel together or you know live in a house. So that's content along with all of the new streaming shows like on Netflix and on other platforms, there's shows with creators. Yeah, I think TikTok's been big. Twitch, there's Twitch stars have a lot of engagement. That's continued. I think what's interesting about Twitter is that nobody's a Twitter star. Twitter's kind of like the front where creators will engage. So creators are getting a lot of passion on Twitter, but they always have a platform where their video content might live. It's always changing. I think noticed the celebrity Olivia Rodriguez. Let me see the name. I just noticed. I saw a tweet last night that she had 20 million, the most ever Spotify streams over hmm. a seven day period. Yeah, Le- Olivia Rodrigo. She's now number 12 on our platform. So she's rising very fast. I've noticed that like she's been on trending 
a lot. And then I happened to see on Spotify, she had a new song out that really scaled, I think called Driver's License that scaled on Snapchat. You know, I, I think TikTok's doing a great job at launching a lot of new stars that are rising. I was excited that Dub Smash got acquired by Reddit. We had recently launched the Dub Smash profession because there were Dub Smash stars that were rising via content on that platform. But I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Snapchat because I know that they're paying out a lot of, they're paying creators out for their highlights product. We'll see if that's new stars or stars that were ready on our platform via scaling on another network. Totally. Right. To me, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Nathan. I was going to say to me, when I, this is a little bit of a, of a change of subject, but when I was browsing the site last night, I've been on it before, just like from Google searches and stuff like that. And it's one of the, it's like Wikipedia, right? Where it's like an yeah. extension of, yeah. but like when I was really digging in last night, it felt to me like the, the thing that probably drives a lot of it, I'm guessing is leaderboard status, right? Cause there's rankings within rankings, right? There's who are the most famous 31 year olds. And I was like looking at it, imagining it being like my high school graduating class or whatever. And then who, who are the most famous like TikTokers or who are the most famous like comedy TikTokers? There's like lots of different leaderboards. And when I was at Substack, we launched a leaderboard of Substack publications and that was like a huge thing. So I just, I can only imagine like general fame rather than a very specific thing, like a Substack leaderboard is people probably get very competitive over it. I'm, I'm imagining you get a lot of pressure from people to change the algorithm or something. Maybe, I don't know. How does it work? And what kind of, I don't know, how do you interact with the people who are on the leaderboards about their place on it? The good thing about our popularity and our platform, it's all driven by the users. Yeah. So our popularity are driven, rankings are driven by user behavior on our platform. But it's based on recency and long-term, like a combination of popularity from longer term and recency. I think that our popularity is just a fun engagement. Again, like we're a new Wikipedia, so obviously we have the concise bio for mobile, but our popularity gives us a great experience because when you wanna look up the May 12 birthdays or the TikTok stars, you'll see based on our users who who has the most uh, passion behind them there. Yeah, I do think that the popularity has helped our platform to uh, make it engaging and fun. And we have the boost button, which is part of our algorithm as well. So a lot of creators and celebrities will uh, look to get boosted by their fans to help their popularity. But the cool part is that it's platform agnostic. So when when TikTok rose, a lot of creators that were on TikTok rose in our popularity, but we weren't connected to TikTok's API to see that. It was based on our own user activity. So if a new platform comes, whether it be a social platform or a new Netflix show or whatever it is, the celebrities on our site will rise based on our 30 million users versus based on a relationship we might have with the platform. Because if it was API related, maybe we had the Twitch API, but not the Instagram API. And then our popularity might be weighted based on that. It's really weighted based on our own users, which helps us not have to be concerned with what's happening next because our users and the platform will dictate that. Yeah. Totally. It's interesting because you're not using the platform-centered metrics of followers and likes and views and things like that. Right. And it, it like having your own proprietary score internally based on user data serves as an equalizing like social status score when right. in reality, like a follower on TikTok is very different from a follower on YouTube is different from a follower elsewhere. Like you're normalizing across all of the platforms and yeah. coming it's up like with like the definitive. Yeah. It's like the most yeah. definitive sign of popularity. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that it's it's not like that celebrity Olivia I mentioned. She had a song on Spotify where she had a ton of streams. So there's a lot of different avenues of where someone might be interested in a creator or entertainment. So the users drive the rankings. Yeah. I'm curious to get your kind of like high level philosophical thoughts on why this site and like why users became so obsessed with these kinds of Gen Z celebrities and digital celebrities versus the origin of the website was really focused on more traditional celebrities and actors and actresses. And so what do you think is driving that shift? If, if you look at the mainstream celebrities, like a Taylor Swift or Beyonce, on her Instagram, they may have 100 million followers, but they get 1% engagement. Whereas one of the TikTok stars or Instagram stars get 5 to 10% engagement. I think that Gen Z creators really connect with their fans. I think it's partly because that's where fans consume media um, and they can consume many social platforms. I think another factor is the format in that in the old ways when you watched a movie with someone that was interesting and you became a fan but with social media you might watch them brush their teeth in the morning it's more of a deeper connection and i think that's why you see siblings grow so much in the old days if you were leonardo caprio's sibling or lebron james's sibling you might have not scaled on social whereas today if you look at dixie d'amelio she scaled alongside charlie or all of the TikTok stars and the collab houses all grow together. So I think that there's just a more um, one-to-one connection, which happens because users are, are living within these platforms nonstop and there's great content being output. And I think the other interesting factor is that, I think a misconception is that one social network is gonna be the winner. I remember three years ago, was Instagram going to take over Snapchat? Or now, is TikTok going to take over Instagram? That doesn't have to be the case. Users can engage with multiple different social platforms, which creates more engagement opportunities. And I think the final thing is the conciseness of the format. When you watch a two-hour movie, you can maybe engage with five celebrities that are in that show. Then on YouTube, in a 10-minute video, you may have engaged with two celebrities in 10 minutes. Now on TikTok, the videos are 15 seconds. Right. So in that 10 minute YouTube video, that's 40 TikTok videos you can watch. So there's just, you might watch three or four videos with, from one creator. So there's just much more of a mobile, concise, you know, appetite and time to really go deep with a lot of creators. So it's almost a perfect storm, I guess you can say. Totally. It's interesting how, as the sort of, boundaries between fans and creators have gotten thinner and thinner that the priority order of the job the creator's doing for you, like they're a comedian, they're an athlete, they're an actor or whatever, versus just being like a virtual friend, almost like an asymmetric friend has been flipped right where before it was like, okay, this person's an athlete, but they're also like a public figure or whatever. She's an actress, but she's also a public figure. And you could maybe feel like you know them a little bit, maybe because you read some articles or you saw an interview or whatever. They went on David Letterman. It's You can see them as people, but mostly they're doing some job for you that's some genre of entertainment or whatever that's like legible to people. But then now it's like, what are they really doing? It's Is it really about the comedy? Is it about the dancing? Is it about the acting or whatever? Like less. It's more just there are people who you and it's like the asymmetric friend thing, but then also they do a job, but it's like the, the priority thing has switched on the, and the social platforms are riding that. Like yeah. when you used to watch a movie or a basketball game, there was an interaction, but as time goes on, the social platforms are only getting better 
at bringing the fans and the creators together. And I think that's helping contribute to the, the passion that, that creators are growing with their fan base. Are you starting to see new creators or new creator platforms that you haven't seen on Famous Birthdays before, like yeah. Clubhouse creators or Substack just, creators? I haven't. We've seen some, I think some journalists have became getting searched. I do think it'd be cool if I think we're growing in other demos. So I think that's going to happen. We saw some Pinterest stars being searched. I think Pinterest is prioritizing creators a little more. So yeah. we've noticed that TikTok is so huge and dominating so much of it that I think there's no huge wave like that happening right now. Mm -hmm. I am interested to see what happens with Snapchat if they create, because they have the scale. So if they launch more creators. Right. And I, I do think for creators, they are growing on TikTok now. But I think, I don't know that they're like when it first launched, that's when that's when you saw like Charlie D'Amelio got to 100 million fans in a year. Or so. So I think that the wave of TikTok is still going, but it's definitely scaled by now. It's the number one download app all year. Yeah. So no, nothing, nothing to that level. I think Snapchat will be interesting. We'll see if with Reddit, if Dub Smash continues to scale, but there hasn't been. I think the existing ones are doing a great job at extending. Yeah. What's the system for deciding who gets a page and who fills out all the content on the page? It's based on like all the. The initial signal is us seeing engagement from users on our site. And then there's a team that looks at, matches that with the real engagement or notoriety they have for what they're doing. So it's totally editorially driven. It's not like Wikipedia where anyone can edit it. Yeah, it is editorial. We're in between in that users show us what to consider, but we still you know, put it up there. Same with like edits. We have a pencil in every profile which is submitted thousands of times a day where people can submit updates or edits. So we don't let users edit the content because then they might, but we still review that potential edit and then implement it based on that. So it's in learned, between. Yeah, totally. Have you learned any interesting lessons of like how to scale this sort of, it's like, like Wikipedia, but more centrally, I don't want to say controlled, but like more of a quality bar basically with a little bit more yeah. central control. But like more open and more user driven than whatever, like a magazine is. Right. Well, I think Wikipedia is so long that it'd be hard for them. Like our profiles are shorter, so it's easier to do in-house yeah. than if we were writing a long book report. I think for scale, it comes to being consistent. And I think that goes back to the chasing shiny object point. We've built a lot of technology for our processes. Technology only helps if it's something you're going to redo again and again in terms of a process. So it's a short-term investment for long-term efficiency. So I think we've done a very good job at knowing how we can serve our users and building technology to help us do that in a quality way because we've stayed very focused on the core vision. Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about what creators should be thinking about right now. And especially given the eight years of running Famous Birthdays, I feel like one of the things that has come up recently as a topic that creators care a lot about is deplatforming and platform risk. And right. that has been recently exemplified by the deplatforming and cancellation of our creator in chief. But also over the summer creator last year, there, were, there was the risk that TikTok would get shut down. There, 
Mixer actually did get shut down and other examples like that. And so I'm curious what you think the takeaways are that creators should be taking from these examples. I think that it's actually, I've always said it's important for a creator to focus on one platform at the get-go. Same mm-hmm. with companies and brands. I always see websites and companies that have seven social icons in their footer, but LinkedIn, Pinterest, YouTube, Twitter, and they don't really have fresh content. And I think that, look, on social, you need to add value for the platform. You can't just have an account to have an account. So I think regardless of platform risk, you need to get an audience and grow scale. So I do think you should focus on one at the get-go. It'd be great in a perfect world to focus on four and have them all scale, but it's more likely if you focus on four that neither are going to scale. So I think one, you should pick one platform that's very native to where you can add value. Instagram grows with pictures, TikTok's short videos, Twitter's little one-line insights, uh, LinkedIn's for career networking. So I do think that even though it's you are relied on a platform, you need to focus on one to get scale and get an audience and get a connection. Then once that, you know, look, Famous Birthdays only focused on Twitter, on social for several years. But once we really had a community and did that, then we, when we went elsewhere. So I would still focus on one with the deplatforming risk, but obviously that's a factor. I do think it's cool that there's a lot of tools being developed for creators right now and a lot of interest behind the space, which is great. So I think that building a one-to-one connection is always good if you can do that. I don't know if that's via email. I know there's a lot of text messaging platforms. Obviously, Cameo allows you to monetize that way. I think you want to be careful not to do something just to do something. If you create a merch account, it might be cool to get merch with your brand on there. But if is that really going to add value versus that time being spent doing better at the existing platform you're on? And in terms of deplatforming, there was this huge concern about TikTok. It never happened. And Mixer really shut down because they tried to compete with existing gamer platforms that had scale. I do think that I don't think creators should overthink that. It's very competitive and difficult to build an audience. So you're going to have to take some risk. And I think that if you overthink about deplatforming, you're not going to scale on one platform, which is what you need to do to really be able to then make it a long-term thing where you can grow on other platforms. Yeah, I I agree. It feels like a pretty exceptional circumstance that a lot of people would be deplatformed, you know, just for whatever political reasons or for platforms coming and going. And it feels like more the norm that as long as you're picking a platform, that's not like something that no one uses. Like you're probably, as long as it's the, the most important thing is that you like dedicate to it and that you really focus on it and you grow within it according to what people on that platform are looking for and what's a match with what you can do rather than worrying too much about that. But I'm curious, Lee, it sounds like maybe you think creators should be more concerned about that. Well, I think there's certain subsegments of creators that are more at risk. Obviously, the risk, yeah. the risk of being deplatformed is not uniform across all creator types, but there are some that do feel like they're building more on shaky ground than others. For instance, like, very conservative right-wing creators like historically have been deplatformed from things like Patreon or even PayPal. Creators who are making adult content are regularly deplatformed right. from various creator tools that introduce a policy against whatever nudity, adult content, 
whatever. So I definitely think like some segments of creators are more regularly and at risk of disenfranchisement than your Gen Z dance creator on TikTok is. That makes sense. Yeah, I I think that's maybe then I think that maybe creators being cognizant that it can happen. So maybe they have to factor that in terms of the content they're putting up there, which is which I'm sure isn't ideal. But yeah, I, I do think that it's definitely a risk. I think it's just hard to it's just so hard to grow on social with how since there's such low barrier of entry to create a social account. It's just it's very hard. I think that for anyone that gets to a million followers on TikTok, there's probably hundred thousand that couldn't get past ten thousand. So it's just yeah. very hard. So I think that it takes real work and effort. Yeah. So I think that if you're trying to do it on three or four platforms, it's just much less likely that you're gonna cross that scale. Um, yeah. I yeah, do I think do. it's I think it's a little bit alarming to see what's playing out right now. Like it does it definitely feels like the cultural conversation towards deplatforming these creators it's become more acceptable to deplatform people. Like it used to be the case that whenever someone got deplatformed or kicked off Patreon or whatever, there was a huge uproar and that uproar centered around free speech and how could you just take away someone's entire livelihood? And now it feels like it's increasingly okay and it's expected for these platforms to boot people off if they're expressing views that are really distasteful to a lot of people. And it like I, I was born in China. I lived there for six years. And it does feel similar to what is taking place there with regards to what people are able to say online and in public, except instead of the decision being made by the government, the decisions are being made essentially by a very small group of tech CEOs. And I think hopefully the platforms at the very least will be able to define what those lines are so that way it's more clear of at the very least it's more clear of what what can be done i think versus just having it be arbitrary and then having policies and procedures for appealing and so forth but yeah i do think it's i do think that it's changing for sure and it has but even though i think jack dorsey like wrote a whole tweet about how that's not the direction he wants it to go in terms of we'll see Mm-hmm. It's a complicated issue for sure. And I think it's even made even more complicated by the fact that like the sort of recent stuff that happened with it is a pretty exceptional circumstance. Hopefully. Hopefully that doesn't become the norm. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, I also want to talk a little bit about just business building in general. So Famous Birthdays has been bootstrapped to date. Have you ever considered raising funding? It's the Silicon Valley ethos of both Nathan and my background is like, just raise funding and build up even bigger business and make it a billion dollar unicorn. Have you ever considered raising outside funding? And what's ultimately your vision for the business? We've, we've, funding has never been something that's prevented us from doing what we want to do with the platform. I think that all these other shiny object opportunities that kind of have been on the side to what we're doing may have took that, but to do what we've done, we've been able to serve our users and have a very engaging platform and provide value. I think that my vision is to keep focusing on being the new Wikipedia for the next generation. And languages has been a fun, challenging way that I think we can grow our audience. Mm. 
I think in January, we're going to pass 35 million unique users, totally organic on our platform. And I think that right now our Spanish platform has probably about 15% of our unique users. We launched in Portuguese two months ago, and that already has a few hundred thousand unique users. So I think replicating what we do and the value we add with our platform and our backend technology and our popularity system and our UX, redoing that in other languages. And the other languages have their own native popularity rankings based on the user activity on those platforms, which is fun for me to see on the Spanish and Portuguese platform, who are the biggest TikTok stars, who are the biggest YouTubers, what are the popular Netflix shows. So we plan on launching in several more languages. Right now, we're actually redoing our technology to really scale, to improve our infrastructure and to make sure that we can go to other languages without hitting a wall on the back end. And I think that is exciting to me and a big challenge. And it definitely not, I think we've been at it for nine years too. So I think that, you know, we may, maybe we grew 3% a year over nine years. So we didn't have that hockey stick growth, but it had growth, but it happened in a long-term healthy way. And I think that we have the scale now to be able to serve the users and go to other language within our existing operation. Totally. I'm curious. One thing that doesn't often mix with bootstrapped businesses is an advertising business model because yeah. you just have to have such incredible scale and it's so hard right. to get that, but you've gotten that. And yeah. the, the other thing that's tough about the advertising business is everyone says oh, there's like the Facebook, Google duopoly. I'm curious how, how advertising has been for you as a model, like what you've learned, how it started, how, what it evolved into as you've learned. I'm really curious to yeah. hear the story of that. That makes sense. I, I think that it is hard to do ad-based business on the web. But remember I mentioned earlier, riding a wave. We, ha- we happen to ride two waves. One was mobile. I saw early on that Wikipedia and IMDb were not set for mobile. So we had a great mobile site and that was right when mobile was happening. So those great brands didn't have a lead on us in mobile. So we rode that wave. The same thing has happened with creators where TikTok has risen and and this huge wave, which we're indirectly on because people come to our platform to learn more about them. So that's helped us to get to the scale. I've never been focused on revenue in terms of the vision. I want to grow our users and grow our audience. Programmatic advertising, which is how we monetize, definitely has cons and people to it. But one of the pros is it's very efficient. Nobody on my team focuses on monetization at all. We just focus on audience, which has helped us get to 30 million users and help us build such a strong brand. We served over 10 billion ad impressions last year. So I do think that it is very hard to... uh, have an ad-based business, but we have enough scale where we can. And I think since we have that scale, we can take advantage of it where we don't, have, we never have to collect money from advertisers. We don't have to pitch them. And really the culture of our company isn't about how do we, what, what can we do for an advertiser on this page? It's right. what, what can we do for a user? So I think that given that we've been at it for so long and ridden the waves, we're able to take advantage of the online ad ecosystem, even though with 30 to 35 million users, you might think our revenue, like one might think we should have more revenue, but that's our North Star is serving our users and growing the audience. And we can always do it later, the direct ads and all that. Although I don't want to do that. Yes, yeah, so, so, and then look, programmatic advertising, since we're a top thousand property, we can connect to the top eight to 10 programmatic networks. And we have built technology around 
the auction that powers our ads. So again, it gets back to that focus. Since we've been focused in the programmatic monetization lane for so long, we have a really good stack that allows us to do as best as we can within this model. Yeah, totally. Have you ever thought about monetizing by charging creators directly? Like you could pay to reach, put an upsell for, if you're a creator, you're trying to sell a product or whatever, you're trying to drive people to a certain thing. Like you can put your own ad on your own page or something like that. I think a feature listing, like Yelp does that. They have restaurants and a restaurant could feature. We looked at that briefly, but we don't want to, you know, collect money from creators. We're a platform where people can learn about and discover creators we also want to be agnostic. So I think that our rankings and our UX is all driven by the user. Yeah. We've thought of 15 different ways to, you know, a famous birthdays pro, or I mentioned a cameo earlier, or doing influencer marketing or doing news, doing direct ad sales. There's a lot of different things that we've talked about, but yeah. we never got a lot deep in any of them. Do you have any tips for folks, especially some of the founders who might listen to our podcast later about building a bootstrapped business? Definitely. And I definitely think I mentioned focus. I mentioned focusing on one social platform. I also think focusing on what you do again and again. When I talk to an entrepreneur who tells me, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. I always get concerned because if you can focus on one thing for a long enough time, you'll get residuals that happen from that focus. I think the challenge is it takes discipline uh, to only focus on that one thing. And I think leveraging technology, I think when people think technology, they think we're gonna send someone to the moon or something really exciting. You can build technology for the boring stuff. Amazon's one of the 15 vendors that we work with. And I remember when we had to send a 1099 to them Every other ad platform would basically email us a document that we had to print and scan and sign. Amazon had two buttons that we clicked to get the 1099. That only saved us maybe three minutes, but it also saved the Amazon, our partner manager, we were working with three minutes. Over the long term, that technology will have ROI. So I think that if there's so many third-party APIs that you can API into, so I think a founder should just focus on what their core way of adding value is and try to use third-party technology and your own technology to make your processes more efficient to do that. And then I think the last one, which might not apply to every business, is the internal search. I That's been huge for us. I think even if you have an e-commerce website, having a big internal search to see right. what users are looking for, or if it's a content site. I know you know, Lee, you have the side hustle stack, which is really cool. You should make sure you can analyze the searches to see mm-hmm what users are looking for. And I think that that's always great to remove. In our office, I remember four or five years ago, there was a debate, are we focusing too much on web stars? We're not focused on our traditional actors because in the office, this wasn't what we were necessarily interested in, but we always double down on what the users want. And the internal search is a great way to not only make your UX better, but to get signs of what they're looking for. Yeah, that's a really great point. Just like always using leveraging your users to tell you what they want to see more of and letting them guide your product roadmap. We do this a little bit through um, our TikTok where we will read through the comments and see what people are saying. And on TikTok comments, like people are just 
like fiercely candid and honest. Like they yeah. will say right. both the yeah. good and the bad and just be brutally right. honest. And we glean so many insights from that. People are like, how do I do my taxes? Are right. there platforms for people who are interested in selling their art? And that sort of guides us to where we need to focus next. And I think the internal searches, you have to be careful with it because it could take you outside of the core. So if people start searching for merch in our search engine, for instance, that wouldn't motivate me per se versus them searching for more of what we already do, you know, because then you can go in so many different directions. So I think it's important to make sure that those insights still are with it. That's why I love the other languages, because now we're getting searches in other languages for our core experience versus using that as cool ideas to go in different directions. Yeah. I also want to talk a little bit about from your vantage point running this site for the past nine years and from LA, I'm curious, what do you think Silicon Valley or tech people or investors, like what do they not understand about creators, like Mm, from the popular narratives that you see on Twitter or elsewhere? I think that's changing. I think that question would have been easier two years ago. I know Mr. Beast, he had the burger app, which is the number one app and everyone like, which is awesome. What I've on YouTube, what I've seen there. So I think creators have really, it's not always about the follower count mm-hmm. as much as it is the passion and engagement that they have. So I think that's always key to understand. I also think that just because you're not on TikTok doesn't mean that you're passion is any less because you're not on the platform that's scaling. But I do think that, I also think that another misconception is people can be fans of many creators. It's not in the old days, you may have been able to list the passionate celebs you have on on one hand, but now it's, I think there's a big wide variety. And I think there's a big long tail component. That's one thing TikTok's done a good job of is they have different categories where there might be bartenders who are really, you know, doing great on TikTok versus people cutting hair or whatever it may be. So I think that it goes very long tail. And, you know, I also think it's here to stay. I think that's, it's not a fad. Mm-hmm. Maybe a social platform might be, but there'll be another social platform that gets in the way it gets there. And some creators will move over, but new creators will happen on that platform. I don't think, I think the creator space has gotten strong enough. Maybe four years ago, it was so centered on YouTube where they were the only really revenue monetization where YouTube really dictated the creator space. And at VidCon, it was like a YouTube conference. Whereas now, I think that the creators are in a much better space because there's amazing platforms like Patreon, like Cameo that can go alongside the other networks. And I think it's also that the monetization. I think it's not the great article today it's about, I think, Taylor, right. Taylor Lorenz, who's an yeah. awesome, wrote about, she does a great job covering the space. She wrote about Snapchat, how these Snapchatters are getting paid so much. Right. I know Instagram TV, I think, is sharing revenue and obviously YouTube does. And then there's Cameo and Patreon. So I think there's going to be more of that, which, which will just help creators be here for longer. And I think the last thing is that it's a lot of work. Creators are... They're smart, they're passionate, they're there early, but it, it takes a lot of work to do what they do. So I think that, I don't think that some people outside the community understand that about how hard it is. And that's why I say to focus on one platform, mm-hmm. because I know the work that goes into getting to these follower accounts. Yeah. We might see it every day in our search, 
Right. But that's not that's not the norm. Right. Can you paint a picture of the kind of work it takes that people may not understand? What are when when you see a successful creator, are there many people that are doing it where it's not a full-time job or do you have to find a way almost to make it a full-time job as like a prerequisite before you can even hope to like start achieving big followings? I I don't know that you need a full-time job. I think there's a wide spectrum of that. I just think that a the skills you need to make a good TikTok video and I think TikTok keeps moving the bar by helping creators make it even better. But so I think early on on TikTok, more to work was done by the creator to make the video better. But that said, creators are very creative on TikTok with what they do. I think YouTube takes planning and editing and a lot of work to get a video to be quality to go on YouTube. Instagram, you know, creators don't want to post three pictures a day on their feed. So they have to really plan out and get a unique shot. And it just takes consistency. I think Mr. B said that in 2014, like he had a million views. 2015, it was like 2 million. And like it was growing. And then 2019, it just went to 100 million. I think, yeah. I think I, I once read a cool quote in a book that said, when you hit a rock a hundred times and, it, and a rock shatters, it's not the hundredth hit that made it, it's a 99 before that. Yeah, And I think that it's easy to see that 100th hit and think, oh, it was one video. But it just takes a long, disciplined effort. And that's analogous to how we did Famous Birthdays. Mm-hmm. It took totally. a long time to get, to get to be part of culture. And now it's every day we see more cool things happening. But it just took a long time of that happening. How do you, given that it takes so long, how do you know if you should keep doing what you're doing or if you should switch? Like what kind of signs do you look for? Because some things take a long time and just never materialize. Well, look, I know Lee talks a lot about the passion economy. You got to be passionate about it. You got to really care. I think um, doing it for the money is tricky because sometimes that takes a long time. And that's, I think, I think, yeah, just being passionate. I think it's also why it's important to focus on one niche because I think it's easier to really get good and have fun with growing on one social platform. I think that's an individual decision. A lot of people say just staying alive is so important and staying in the game. But I watch, I've, I love Shark Tank. I've liked that. I really learned a lot from that show. In fact, Mark Cuban came into her office about 14 months ago for a Q and a, which was awesome. And I love that show. And sometimes they do give harsh feedback to the entrepreneur to saying, you got to stop. So I do think that's a hard question to answer because it does take so long to get there. But but that said, you got to sometimes be realistic. How long can these creators' careers actually last? I totally agree with Mm. you that the platforms themselves and this phenomenon of creators as celebrities is not a fad, but it feels like people are blowing up overnight, becoming stars overnight, getting 100 million followers on a new platform in a year. Do you think that could unwind just as quickly where they're no longer famous the next year? And on through your platform, What are the differences that you see between creators that actually persist and continue to be able to grow and remain famous versus the ones that kind of drop off? I think unique content is always important. Real passion to creating good, unique content. Again, I think that's why it's good to be on one platform. I don't think it's just repackaging content for five platforms versus really focusing on one. I think, yeah, I do think the creative space is here to stay. I mean, I heard a great podcast with the two Patreon founders how I built this. And they really are really care about 
making sure the creator ecosystem can thrive. I think that not everyone's going to make a million dollars a year, but I think that I think I guess it comes down to what makes it a long-term career versus the opportunity cost of doing something else. Yeah. But I do think that the social platforms are getting bigger. They're caring about monetization. The technology is growing. This is what users want. Snapchat Discover is doing so well because people are on Snapchat. So I don't think, I think that there's a lot of momentum going that way. And so I do definitely think it's here to stay. The individual economics per creator will, will differ. But I do think there's a lot going in that direction, for sure. Totally. Lee, I love that question. And I feel like it would be amazing to have someone do like a good to great, but like for creators, basically, yeah. where you take, we have such exactly. a good data set over a, such a long period of time of people who maybe like were in a similar genre and like rising at a similar rate over a period of time, but maybe one of them flattened down and the other one had some longevity. Can you compare what was going on? Like maybe it's something about the content they were making, or maybe it was something about the way they had set up their business or their personal life to support the business. I feel like we're at a mature enough point where you could maybe start to do a study and draw some interesting conclusions from that. And maybe that's a good means of creation project. (laughs) I I think another cool way to think about it is that when you make content, you're a creator, it's great education and you're learning. So obviously social media is huge. There's a corporate America starts to care more about their social and their video. There's a lot of creators and people that have worked within the passion economy that have basically gotten their own MBA in it via doing it on their own. So I do think that the skills that they're learning and whether they do it on their own or via another company are going to be valuable, which is another good, it's not, the fad isn't going away, but yeah, Yeah. to lead to your point, obviously it's hard to make. I do think that when you hear someone making a million dollars a year on social, that's obviously not the norm. You do want to understand that. Yeah, I I see this from the outside as a user of these platforms where creators are, I think, trying to transition their careers from this. They lucked into getting the algorithm to feature their video and all of a sudden they have like a bajillion followers overnight. But how do they actually translate that into a more reliable source of you know their livelihood and right. so the behaviors that i typically see are like pushing people to go subscribe to their youtube channel subscribing across social platforms diversifying their social presence and trying to bring their audience to something that is like a bit more reliable where a follower actually is more guaranteed to watch your content than on the for you page and also trying to like create television shows or strike like more traditional entertainment deals in order to continue being able to engage with their audiences. Yeah. And I think where they can add value is very important. I think, look, that's why maybe Cameo, you can add value if you're doing it that or on Patreon or on another social platform. I think, I don't think you want to default to just going to the next social platform unless you really think you can add value there. But I guess I think there's going to be a lot of different ways and platforms for that to happen which I think is good. It's better to, like, you. I guess it might be good if it, it wasn't like everyone had to move to this one platform to be have it be a long-term fit. I think there'll be multiple platforms where you can add value in a second place. But I also think it'd be good to just, just like I said, to focus on one, I think it'd be good to focus on one more after that. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm adding value on two platforms right? versus trying to go from one to seven. Um, yeah, So makes sense. 
I know you have a hard stop soon, so I can we... do five more, five more minutes. I can keep going because we start at eleven oh five. If there's any more, we yeah. have a question from the audience that I think uh, we yeah, should take maybe as the last question. So Laura asks Evan, "What do you think is missing on the creator platform front?" You know, I think maybe this is an area like I know that you're really passionate about technologies helping the creator space. I do think that it is challenging to maybe manage all of the different social channels. So once you are scaled and moving into two or three, there used to be like technologies for companies to log into one place and post and manage different accounts across places. So I do think that's important because creators do want to make sure they're adding value on other social platforms. So the less time they have to spend managing all the different platforms or seeing their stats on different platforms will help them. So I, I think that's the challenge that all of these platforms have their own roadmap, their own technology, their own login, that it's going to be hard to manage and make good decisions based on where it's happening. It'd be cool if a creator knew, okay, I'm on five platforms. Where am I growing the most or seeing the most engagement in one central place so they know to make the right decision across platform? Yeah. So I think that would be cool. If there's more, since the creator platforms are going to be here, if there's more tools to help a creator manage their presence in right. multiple places without spreading themselves thin. And deal with the fragmentation of different different platforms. Yeah. Right. I think our previous guest a few weeks back, Joe Albanese at Stir, has that oh, vision cool. of helping creators manage their businesses across different platforms. Yeah, check out Stir. But I agree cool. that's an emerging pain point for sure. Yeah. And I also think that for creators, look, the TikTok thing was obviously was it going to get banned? That was a big, but it hasn't, and that hasn't been mentioned. But I do think that got had got creators to think about platform reliance and so forth. But I do think that it's exciting how much creators are, have been growing across different platforms. So that's yeah, a good thing. totally. I think that's a great place to wrap. Thank you so much, Evan, for being here today. Everyone check out famousbirthdays.com. And if people want to ask Evan more follow-up questions, I think you're available on Twitter. And can you share your Twitter handle too? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's Evan underscore Britain at Twitter. So awesome. I have, I'm not at very active, but I've been a little trying to be a little more active. But yeah, and I think our platform is, the cool thing about our platform is it's not just celebrity. Like we have pets on there now and we have TV shows and movies and web groups. We even have now colleges. People are interested in past and present attendees huh. on our platform from colleges. So we're really trying to add value for users based on what they're interested in learning more about. Awesome. So, thanks so much cool. for being here today. It was a really interesting conversation and thanks so much. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Nathan. Have a good yeah. weekend. Thank you. Too. you. Have a great weekend. See you. Bye. -bye. Bye.